0: Everyone loves a good story. Whether it is the Anne of Green Gables book, or movies, as my uh, wife enjoys, or the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which I and my boys enjoy, or even the kids' book, The Giving Tree. Everyone loves a good story. I, I think we love getting to know these kind of flawed characters. And we kind of discover and realize that they're a little bit like us. However, they go on to have adventures unlike us. We enjoy a story that we just get wrapped up in, and we just find ourselves unable to close the book. We just keep flipping the pages, even though it gets later and later at night, or we just can't turn the movie off. It just has us gripped because we love story. In his book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, Donald Miller boiled the essence of story down to this definition. He says that a story is simply a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. Last Sunday, I was sharing a little bit of the story about the planting of Riverwood. And when I began to share about some of the conflict, some of the difficulty, the obstacles that we have faced, everyone perked up. Every eye was riveted on me you suddenly became interested in the story because you realized Riverwood has not been planted through ease and comfort and silver spoons. That instead, there has been a lot of conflict, a lot of obstacles, a lot of perseverance to get us to this stage where we're at, where we're needing a new building because of growth. But I have a feeling that if you and I sat down for coffee this week and I began to ask you some of your story, the tables would be turned. Because I would be riveted upon you. Because you would start sharing about some of the conflict, some of the obstacles that you've gone through. It it could have been the time that you you lost a loved one, a mom, a dad, a sibling, a spouse. Maybe it was the time you were in a really, really bad relationship. Maybe it's when you unexpectedly lost your job and had no idea how you were going to pay the bills. It, It could be any number of things but there has been conflict in your life. And when you share that with others, they're riveted on your story. But the funny thing is, if we sat down to coffee and I said, hey, I'd love to hear some of your story. You might say, ah, you don't wanna hear that. My is boring. In your mind, you're not having epic adventures like Frodo. You get up every day, you go to work, you come home, and you go to bed. R- lather, rinse, repeat. You think your story's boring. Others of you, if I said, hey, tell me your story, you'd hesitate. You'd pause. You'd wonder, do I share it? Because there's a lot of unwanted parts. There's some things in your story that you don't want anyone to know about because of things that were either done to you or because of bad choices that you made. And so you find yourself not wanting to share this unwanted story. The reason I think some of us have what we consider boring stories or unwanted stories is because I think that a lot of us grab the pin from God. You see, I believe that God is actually the author of your story. It's just that most of us, we try to steal the pin and somehow think that we can do a better job than him. But when we try to write a better story than the greatest author of all time, we end up with boring stories or unwanted stories. Today, we're going to be talking About story. We're we're not going to talk, though, just about stories in general. Today, we kick off a series that's about one story. This one story is found within the pages of the Bible. And over the next several months, we're going to see how the biblical record, even a couple thousand years before Jesus walked on earth, began to tell his story. And we're going to begin to see that Jesus is the protagonist Because, you see, I believe that not only is Jesus the main character of the Bible, I believe that when God is writing our story, he wants Jesus to be the main character of our life as well. Because, you see, when we steal the pen, we tend to have a tendency to write ourselves in as the hero. And thus we end up with boring stories or unwanted stories. But when we actually surrender the pen and let him write the story in our lives that he wants to write, It begins to change everything. And we begin to look more and more like Jesus. We begin to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And we go and we make a huge difference. And it's because God is writing our story. So join me in prayer. Father, we just pray right now as we uh, get ready to go into the Bible that we would not just look at this as some knowledge to obtain, but something that needs to shape our hearts. Father, there are all sorts of stories in this room, dozens of them, each one unique. Every person in this room has had some wonderful moments to celebrate and has had some incredibly difficult moments. Father, I pray that today you would help us to surrender the pen, that we would allow you to be the author of our own stories. God, that's hard sometimes to do. It requires trust. And so I pray today, as we look at the scriptures, as we kick off this new series, that we would understand more and more the kind of story that you want to write in our lives, the kind of stories that we want to live out. Because I believe that you can use each and every one of us in this room to do phenomenal things in this world. But it begins by letting you be in charge and in control. So right now, help us to surrender. Help us to be open. May this not be about the words that I, Aaron Bird, want to say. May this be about what you The Father in heaven wants to say to us through your timeless scriptures, help us to learn right now. In Jesus' name we pray together. Amen. Today, we are going to be in Luke chapter 24. So if you brought a Bible or you've got a Bible app on your phone, go ahead and open it up to Luke 24. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, no problem. I'm gonna have the scripture up on the screen. Um, But if you want a paper copy, we would love to give you one. We've got two different translations on the Give and Grow table. Stop by there after our worship gathering. We would love for you to have one. Now, please, don't take one, stick it on yourself so that you look really spiritual and can impress all your friends, okay? We want this to be your everyday Bible, all right? So if you're not gonna use it, let someone else get it. But if you want it, Please, our gift to you. We'd love for you to have it. And then also, there's several versions of the Bible out there that you could download to your phone. We recommend the abible.com, or it's also known as the Version app. They've got multiple translations in there. It's a great little uh, app. Download that. Uh, many of our church family use those every week. So we're not—I'm not, not going to worry if you're going to surf Facebook, all right? I figure if I'm not interesting enough to keep you off Facebook, then it's my fault, not yours. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. Today is a story— and I'm glad because it's a kind of a longer section. You know how sometimes when someone begins to read, it, it can become a little boring? I will do my best to try and keep it captivating, but I'm just going to ask you, stick with this. I, I need you to kind of get into the story because we're going to see something here that maybe some of us have missed, if you're familiar with the story at all. I've got to set the stage just a little bit. Jesus has died on the cross, and it's kicked into place all these confusing events. And we're going to join up with two guys who are out on a walk. And they're trying to process all that has taken place. And that begins in verse 13. So Luke 24, verse 13. Well, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he, Jesus, said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all our people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since all these things happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. As uh, Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but that him they did not see. And he, Jesus, said to them, Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them, to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. For a minute, I want you to put your shoes, yourself in the shoes, or I guess I should actually say sandals of these two guys, all right? They're on this walk seven miles to the small town of Emmaus, and they've seen a lot. And I I guess I should actually back up, realizing maybe you're not that familiar with the story of Jesus. Jesus had three years of public ministry. He he went around teaching amazing things, uh, teaching amazing things, but he also was doing amazing things. And his teaching his actions, ended up being a threat to the Jewish leaders. They, they felt that he was actually crumbling the foundation of Judaism. And, and so they started to plot together, they've got to get rid of this guy. And so they ended up falsely arresting him, falsely trying him, and falsely accusing him. And he ends up being condemned to death. They hand him over to the Romans, and the Romans' instrument of torture was the cross. They had perfected this instrument of torture. What they would do is they would either just take a nearby tree or sometimes a couple of pieces of wood and lumber, cross them over each other, and they would nail this criminal to the cross through the wrists and through the feet. But it wasn't enough to kind of humiliate them this way. They would put them in places where lots of traffic would pass by because Rome wanted to remind everyone how powerful they and their Caesar were. Well, Jesus ends up being hung on this cross, naked. Everyone passes by, some people mocking him, spitting on him. And these disciples were crushed. They had heard the things that he taught. They saw the miracles that he did. They really thought this is the one who's going to restore Israel, who's going to set up the kingdom of God on earth. Israel will be a nation again, will be mighty and strong, will overthrow our Roman oppressors, and we will be a free people. And so when he died on the cross, their dreams died with him. Well, then you start throwing on top of this some of the confusing things that begin to happen. Suddenly, one day, Cleopas and the other guy, they're with some of the disciples in this house. And the women, early Sunday morning, knock on the door. And they start saying that they've seen a vision of angels who told them that Jesus had rose from the dead. I mean, they went out to the tomb to finish the burial preparations. They'd gotten interrupted by the Sabbath. Jesus dies on a Friday. The sun sets, so they just kind of put his body in the tomb. And then they have to wait out the Sabbath. You don't do any work on Saturday. So as soon as Sunday morning rolls around, the women are out there. They're going to finish the the body preparations. And instead, the the, the stone is rolled away and the body is gone. And these two angels say, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's risen, just as he said. The women freak out. A couple of them run, tell the guys. The problem, though, is in that day, women's testimony were not trusted. You, You could not have a woman's testimony in court which is absolutely ridiculous if you think about it. I mean, guys, we have egos that we're trying to protect. If anyone's going to lie, it would be a guy. Women, they just tend to be a little more emotionally aware. And so I think that leads to a little more honesty. But no, they thought that, no, a woman is going to lie, so we can't trust her testimony. So Peter and John, hearing this report of an empty tomb, take off, and they find it, just as the women said, but they don't see Jesus. Now, we don't know why Cleopas and his friend are on this walk to Emmaus. Maybe one of them lives there, and they're just headed home. Maybe they've got a job, something lined up to go and work. Maybe they're trying to hide, get away from the the Jewish leaders or the Roman soldiers. We don't know why. But they're walking, and they're talking about all this stuff. They have been on a roller coaster. This has been quite the story. They've gone through the hardship of watching who they thought was the Messiah die on the cross. They've had the frustrating moment of hearing these women come back and tell them that we saw angels say he's alive. And everyone's like, oh my goodness, dead people don't come back to life. And then the confusing moment when Peter and John come back and say, yeah, the the tomb's empty. I think when it comes to the Bible, sometimes we're a bit like Cleopas and his friend. Because we look at the Bible, and sometimes it just seems really hard to understand. We find ourselves a little confused. We're we're bewildered, maybe a little frustrated by it. We don't quite understand what's going on with it. And I think sometimes our feelings about the Bible come from the way we view the Bible. Some people, they view the Bible as just a library. And and it is. It's this collection of 66 books books. Written by 40 different authors in three different languages over 1,600 years of time. And like a library, it's got all sorts of different genre of literature. You can find historical accounts, genealogical records. You can find poetry, songs. I mean, you can find all sorts of stuff in this thing. And like a library, it's divided into sections. You've got an Old Testament. The Old Testament is considered the Hebrew scriptures. The Jews would call it the Tanakh, except they rearrange their, bi- their books in a different way. But it's still basically the same thing. And the Old Testament, it's divided up into these other subsections. You've got the five books of the Pentateuch, the, the writings of Moses. And then you've got, what, 12 uh, historical books. And then you move into the wisdom literature, and there's five of those. And then you get to what are known as the prophets. We call five of them the major prophets, not because they were more important, but their books are just a lot longer. And then you've got 12 minor prophets. Oh, that's the 39 books of the Old Testament. Then you move into the New Testament, and you've got four Gospels. You've got one book of history known as the Acts of the Apostles. And then you get into these things, these letters called epistles. The Apostle Paul wrote 13 of them, wrote them to specific churches, a couple of them to young pastors to teach them. You've got eight other letters written by other leaders of the church at the time. And then you finish it all out with that one really strange book, this apocalyptic book called Revelation. You've got this collection, this library. The follower of Jesus after follower of Jesus has interacted with this library. And they've discovered it's more than just a collection. It's more than just a library. For some people, it's a historical record. They treat it like a history book. And, And don't get me wrong, it is. If you dive into the Bible, you can find all sorts of historical stories. I mean, just go into Genesis or, you know, pick First and Second Chronicles and read about all the kings. Or even in the New Testament, go to the book of Acts. Did you know that archaeology has proven the book of Acts to be 100% verified just based on what they have discovered through the, through the ground? It, you could go and you can look up the archaeology and see that, yeah, this is historical stuff that happened. But it's not just a history book. It's so much more than that. For others, it's a, let me see what my third one is. What what is my third one? A book of theology. Theology means the study of God. And it is through the Bible that we learn a lot about God. It's through the study of the scriptures that we've discovered that there is one God, but he's revealed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit we learn that this God has immutable characteristics, characteristics that cannot be shared with anyone else. How he's omnipresent, how he's everywhere at the same time, and and omnipotent, he's all-powerful or omniscient. He he knows all things. But then he also has characteristics that he does share with humanity, like love and grace and mercy and justice. We learn so much about this God. In, In fact, just go to the book of Romans. It's one of the Apostle Paul's greatest letters, and in the first, it's 16 chapters long. The first 11 chapters are nothing but theology as he's explaining who God is, who Jesus is, and what the gospel is. But the Bible is not just a theology textbook. I mean, we learn a lot of theology from it, but it's so much more than that. Some people see the Bible as an instruction manual. And don't get me wrong, it is. I believe that the Bible is useful To to shape us and mold us. That's why at Riverwood, every single week, we are opening this thing up and we're studying it, seeing how does this apply to life. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. I believe the scripture's, can help to mold us and shape us into that image of Jesus so that we will love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. So that's why every week we go and study this thing. But it's not just an instruction manual. It is so much more than even that. In the early 2000s, there were a bunch of, I don't know, sociologists, cultural people. You know, they're very aware of, of what's going on in the world and they said that they noticed a shift in Western culture from what they called modernism or modernity into postmodernism, and they said that you know some of the characteristics of modernity where it was all about facts, uh, statistics, things were very linear, but in postmodernism, things were a little more circular. It was more of how you felt. It, it wasn't so much the the facts as it was the actual story. And, and so some Christians heard this and thought, oh, well then. We need to stop viewing the Bible through a modern lens. We need to start seeing it through a postmodern lens. Started saying, this is a story. And I heard many Christian leaders start saying that this is the story of humanity. And, and it is. It's a very human book. I mean, it's written by 40 human authors. It's through here that we learn about the creation of humans. We, we hear about how humanity sinned against God. We, we read very human stories like that of King David or, or Ruth or, or Peter And you'll see their great successes and their great sin. You see the moments that they seek after God and the moments that they rebel against God. This is a very human book. But I'm just going to lay my cards completely out on the table and say that I believe, though, it's not just the product of humans, that it was superseded by God. And just go back to that 2 Timothy 3 passage we just read. It says that all scripture is God-breathed. God breathed this thing. He inspired it. He guided it. Yes, he used human authors. He used their personalities. He used their perspectives. He used their cultural surroundings. But yet, he oversaw it to put in what he wanted. And the reason that I believe that God oversaw the writing of the scriptures is because all throughout, woven, is one story. All throughout this library, Throughout the historical records, even in the instructional manual type of stuff, it keeps pointing to one hero, to one protagonist, and his name is Jesus. This is his story. And that's what he was pointing out to the two guys on the road to Emmaus. Cleopas and his friend were probably very dedicated Jews. They knew their scriptures very, very well. In fact, most Jewish boys would go through school and they would study the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, so much that they would practically have it memorized. And yet for all of their knowledge, they were missing the most important thing. And that's what Jesus begins to explain to them. Beginning with the writings of Moses there in the Torah and going through the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah, I bet he even dipped into some of the Psalms He starts showing how even before Jesus walked on this earth, this book had been telling his story. If we were to continue on there in Luke 24, you would see Jesus come into town with the guys and they invite him in for dinner. And so as they sit down to eat, there comes this moment where Jesus begins to break bread and suddenly their eyes are opened and they realize this wasn't just some stranger. This is Jesus and he's alive. And right as they recognize him, he disappears. The two guys kind of freak out, and they got to rush back to Jerusalem. They got to tell everyone. And so they hoof at the seven miles back to Jerusalem. They get into town. They find the house. They start pounding on the door. The disciples have been hiding. They're scared. They're afraid that these Jewish leaders are going to arrest them and kill them too, because they had been with Jesus. And all of a sudden, the pounding on the door. It's Cleopas. Let me in. Let me in. And they come in. And they start saying, We were with him. We walked on the road. We started eating with him. And then suddenly we realized it's him. And right as they are telling the guys what had happened, Jesus appears. Now, the door was locked. So he didn't come through the door. He didn't do some cool ninja dive through the window. I mean, they had those shut as well. He just appeared. And you've got to realize, some women have said, angels just told us he's alive, and everyone's going, okay, I think they're a little crazy. And now suddenly these other guys show up saying, we were just walking on the road, and right as we recognized him, he disappeared. And now everyone's going, okay, we are delusional in our morning. So there's some people in this room who do not believe them. So for suddenly Jesus to stand in their midst, to have not used the door, they're now thinking, ghost. And so Jesus asks for some food. They give him a piece of fish, and he starts eating it. And I can just imagine Jesus almost like, smiling. He's got this little smirk, twinkle in his eye. It's almost like saying, can a ghost do that? And they realize it's him. And then suddenly Jesus begins to teach. And if you've still got your Bible open there to Luke 24, look over at verse 44. Luke 24, verse 44. Then he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. So he's saying, I told you this was going to happen before I ever went to the cross. I was explaining this to you. You didn't hear it. So let me say it again. That everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets, the major and minor prophets, and the Psalms, so even the wisdom writings, must be fulfilled. And then, doing some Jedi mind trick, I guess, he opened their minds. Understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. See, Jesus is helping them see that the Bible is not just a collection of books, it's not just a library. It's not just a historical record. It's not just an instruction manual. It's not just any of these things. That its primary purpose is to share the story of Christ. All of it points to him. And so because it all points at him, that's why we feel that Riverwood, we need to be Jesus-centered. That's why every single week, we focus on who Jesus is and what Jesus did. It's why we celebrate communion almost weekly. It's why we sing the songs that we do. It's why we take the time to study the scriptures. Because for us, it's pursuing who Jesus is and what Jesus did. Because we believe that it can change lives. That is why for the next several months, we've never done anything like this before. Typically, if you're new to Riverwood, typically what we do is we pick a book of the Bible and we just start walking through it bit by bit by bit. But this uh, year, we're going to do something very differently. We're going to start next week in Genesis with the creation account, and we're going to just start seeing through many of the high points and stories how they all point to Christ. Now, I know the subtitle of this series is that every page points to Jesus. We are not going to be on every page, all right? We are not going to take a decade, but we are going to take several months. But we're going to hit some of the high stories, We're going to even see some of the more hidden stories, stories that you may not be familiar with. If the Bible seems new to you, this would be a great series for you to be a part of. It'll be almost like a biblical overview for you. You'll learn so much. Consider this like the Cliff's Notes versions of the Bible. But what you're going to learn is that it all points to Jesus. But my prayer is not just that your head would get filled with knowledge. You'd have some aha moments where you'd see some of the Bible stories in a new way. My deeper prayer is, is that you wouldn't just see Jesus as the star of this story, you'd start to see him as the star of your story. Because you see, I believe that God is the greatest author of all. And he knows you, and he loves you, and he wants to write an amazing story through you. But the problem is, we steal the pen from his hand. It's almost like a, third, a three-year-old Stealing the pen out of J.R.R. Tolkien's hand. Or grabbing the keyboard uh, away from uh, J.K. Rowling. And they start typing away. They start writing something. And, and maybe they can somehow concoct a story. And it would probably be funny and cute. If they were really, really, really off the, tops, uh, off the charts intelligent. It might actually make some sense. But there's no way that a three-year-old could write the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Or the entire Harry Potter series. When we take the pin away from God our best is going to fall so short. We're trying to write a three-year-old story when we've got the greatest author of all who wants to write something amazing in you and through you. That's why today I want to encourage you. Surrender the pen. Push back the quill and the ink bottle. Let him have the keyboard. Let him be in charge. Now that's scary. Because I've already told you, God does not want to write your story with you as the hero. If you put God in charge of your story, you let him be the author, he's going to make Jesus the hero. But I believe that's where your best life will be found. Because as he starts writing the story of Jesus in you more and more and more, the gospel becomes the central core of who you are. It does something in you so that he can do something through you. And you won't go on to have more boring stories You won't go on to have as many unwanted moments. You'll go on to see God do some epic things. And it probably won't be climbing mountains. It'll probably be changing lives. All because you were willing to surrender, give him back the pen, and let him write what he wanted to in you and through you. I'm looking forward to this journey. I'm really looking forward to seeing the story of Jesus throughout the scriptures But far more importantly, I'm wanting to see God write the story of Jesus in you. Because I believe God has called us as a church to change this world. Because I don't know if you've noticed, it's a crazy world right now. There's so much division. There's so much hatred. There's so much vitriol going on. What this world needs right now more than anything else are a bunch of people who will go and love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And if you're willing to do that, you will change the world No, it's probably not going to be because you became president of the United States. It'll probably be that you changed the world of one person or one family or your workplace or your neighborhood or our city and state. But it starts with the surrender of the pen. So I invite you on this journey with me. Will you surrender the pen? Will you let God write the story? And we'll see it happen as we see the story of Jesus through the Bible. What I really want to see is the story of Jesus in you. So Father, I pray that you'd help each of us right now to surrender, to come to a place where we just push it back and say, God, it's yours. This is my life. I offer it to you because I've been trying to write it myself. I've been trying to make myself the hero. I, I've been trying to act like I've got it all together. I've, I've got it under control. Yeah, God, I'm gonna be honest and realize I am not. So God, that's why right now we just give this back to you, saying, use us, take us, do with us what you want. God, please take us apart and remake us. We don't care what it costs. We want to be like Jesus. God, I want to see this room filled with people who will go and love like Jesus loved, whether that be their spouse or their kids or their neighbors or their work associates or extended family. People who will go live like Jesus lived in their neighborhoods, that we would go and be a blessing because we're no longer living like we are the star of the story. Rather, we're living for Jesus. And we're just merely the supporting cast because, Jesus, your story is beautiful. It's powerful. It's the greatest story there ever was. And even the best stories out there, all they do is point to you. So, God, help us to do that. Help our life to be a story that points to Christ and may it not be about just Jesus being seen in every page of the Bible. May he be seen in every page of our soul. But God, to have this happen, it takes the work of your Holy Spirit. So right now, Father, as we pray, as we sing, as we partake of the communion elements, may your Holy Spirit be whispering your truth, your love, and your grace to your people. I pray for anyone that's here today that does not know you. Maybe they've got questions, they've got doubts, they've been wrestling and yet right now you're speaking to their heart and their mind and you're saying, I love you. Come to me. Let me be your father. Let me be the author. Father, I pray that as they surrender their life to you, they would just have a sense that, that you're going to do something great in them. I pray for anyone who's been wrestling with sin and, and addiction. They've not been giving it over to you. They would They would say they're a Jesus follower and yet they're just not living honestly. Right now, Father, help them to repent of this sin, to give it to you and accept your grace. Jesus, we thank you for your story. I can't believe that you left your throne in heaven and came down to earth, taking on human flesh, knowing that the purpose you came was to ultimately go and die an excruciating death upon a cross. And yet you tell us in the book of Hebrews that it was for the joy set before you that you endured the pain and shame of the cross and that joy was us. So Father, if you could find joy in us, these rebellious creatures, help us to come back to you, our holy, perfect Father. So Father, as we sing, as we pray, as we worship, would you just speak to us now in this time